Hey, thanks for listening to the Daily Walk podcast. Just want to remind you that if you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments, or any prayer requests, you can go online to the Boulder Church website, which is at boulder.church. Send them along. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, look after each other and live love. Good morning. It is Tuesday, July 9. Welcome to Daily Walk. I'm Becky de Oliveira. And I'm Japheth de Oliveira. And uh, happy Tuesday to everybody. And so let me pray for today. Um, Heavenly Father, just want to thank you again, Lord, for a fresh day, a fresh start, uh, an opportunity just to reflect and pause for a little bit in your word. We ask, Lord, for a blessing on on this passage as we look at what Joseph has had done in his life and what you'd called him to and the blessing of it all. And we ask for uh, application in our own lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm reading today from the message, paraphrase, the MSG, Genesis 41, verses 41 through 49. So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph, I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and slipped it on Joseph's hand. He outfitted him in robes of the best linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He put the second-in-command chariot at his disposal, and as he rode, people shouted, Bravo! Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Pharaoh told Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one in Egypt will make a single move without your stamp of approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Zaphonath Paneah. God speaks and he lives. He also gave him an Egyptian wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, also known as Heliopolis. And Joseph took up his duties over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he went to work for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. As soon as Pharaoh left Pharaoh's, Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he began his work in Egypt. During the next seven years of plenty, the land produced bumper crops. Joseph gathered up the food of the seven good years in Egypt and stored the food in cities. In each city, he stockpiled surplus from the surrounding fields. Joseph collected so much grain, it was like the sand of the ocean, that he finally quit keeping track. That's amazing. He actually stopped counting. He was like, this is going to be enough. We'll be fine. We'll be solid. We're set for seven years. I don't really understand that. I feel like, why would you ever stop counting? Like, still kind of useful to know how much you have. And also, maybe you have enough that you could give it to some other country or trade well, it. Like, yeah. I, it just seems kind of wasteful. Eventually, he was going to trade totally it. I don't totally get that. But he was going to trade it at a price point. Yes, which I think there is some criticism of Joseph for that. Oh, really? Price gouging. or Price gouging? Yeah. Well, if you stockpile things and then up the price. Did he? <laughs> well, isn't that what you just said? No, I said that he was gonna he was gonna he was gonna sell it later on. I didn't At a know. Price, I didn't know what you it, said. I didn't know whether he was gonna like up the price over everybody else. <laughs> Probably that's what it sounds like he was planning on doing. Like, yeah. hey, we have something, and the rest isn't that what he does when his brothers come to visit? Don't uh, they come looking for food? Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't like he he sends them off. I can't remember exactly, but I remember he sends them off, and he doesn't take any of their money one of the times. And then he puts one of the silver cups inside yeah, there to try and trick Benjamin. And, but yeah. he's actually it's a, actually an entirely different purpose behind it, as it opposed a, to to kind story. of see whether they're going to betray his brother like they betrayed him. Right. So they're trying. He's trying to see establish whether they really have repented of their ways and changed and grown up and become wiser like he has. Uh, or not, uh, but I, I think it's uh, it's really good. I like the way you say "bravo." That's pretty good. I was, <laughs> I 
It's very, very. Uh, what did I do? You went bravo. It was like uh, oh, very, okay. uh, very impressive inside there. Oh, thank you. You know, when I look at this passage, though, there are a couple of things that stand out for me. Uh, again, it's just been hitting me this week as we've been reading it, and just what's interesting here is that he's married to this Egyptian uh, woman. And uh, he's been assigned assigned her. I don't know whether he got to choose her, whether he's in love with her, or whether it's just like an arranged marriage or not. But he is definitely assimilated into the culture inside here. Uh, I wonder what have, would have happened if he hadn't married her. If he would have said, like, I, I'm only going to marry, you know, uh, a Hebrew girl. And well, what would have made him think that that wasn't even a necessary requirement? Well, the culture that he grew up well, in. Like what, what would be the point of in. saying that there are no Hebrew girls around? So I'm sure he could have found one. <laughs> I'm sure he couldn't have. He's in Egypt. He works for Pharaoh. Who, who's he going to find? I'm sure he could go get one if he wanted one. I'm sure he couldn't. That doesn't even make <laughs> any sense. Like what, a slave or somebody? Not a slave. I mean, you could have well, who, found who somebody. Who else would it have been? There aren't any. How do you Didn't know? they just kidnap them and sell them as slaves? No, no, no. He like, was captured was... by somebody else, not by an Egyptian. Okay, but he ended up as a slave in Egypt, which yeah. would indicate that they didn't kind of immigrate to places and be treated as equals. If you were in that country, you would be a foreigner and you would be treated accordingly, right? You wouldn't be, you wouldn't typically be like Pharaoh's second in command. No, that's true. So how do you think they actually allowed a Hebrew to actually become second in command? I don't know. I'm not asking about that question. I'm just saying I don't know that that he would have had the pick of a ton of Hebrew women that are just like there (laughs) hanging around. Why? Why would they be there? What would be the purpose? By themselves? No family or anything? Well, let's just presume that there are some available. Why? And why not? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Let's presume that. Let's presume there's like 50 Hebrew women that are yeah. right down the street from like Joseph. Like and it. instead he's like, no, I'll go with the Egyptian woman. <laughs> and you think this is a problem? No, for what I think reason? That, I don't think it's a problem. I think what's interesting about it is that he has married, uh, in another society, he's married somebody who's not with his faith. And I wonder what happened to his faith and where his faith has landed. Well, maybe he didn't care very much about somebody being of his faith. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe did, his maybe, marriage was more for mm, other reasons. Yeah, and I'm saying that it's it's as a leader, this is an interesting um, compromise that he's made. It doesn't feel like a compromise at all. Well, like, maybe not. Well, he, he also didn't. I don't think have a choice. Pharaoh was saying, "Hey, you're in command," but Pharaoh also says, "I am still Pharaoh." You work for me. Right. Here's my ring. Here's this chain. Here's my chariot. So then, and here's your wife. So then. So I think Joseph is still a slave, effectively, because he works for this guy, and this guy is calling the shots. Is is everybody in the empire a slave then? Yes, I think in any kind of um, uh, what, what do you call it? A monarchy, like a direct rule sort of thing. Yes, when the pharaoh can go and round you up and throw you in prison because he didn't like the bread that you baked, then yes, everybody is a slave. (laughs) I don't know. The queen would see herself. (laughs) Well, Britain's situation is a little bit different. The queen is not directly controlling the country. Even before, when when the royal family did, I don't know if they saw all the the subjects as slaves. I don't think they saw it that way, but the subjects were slaves. If you cannot move without somebody telling you that it's okay, then you are effectively You don't think people slave. are, well, okay, let's take it all the way through to today. Does anybody own anything today? I think people are slaves Yeah, today. so is there any difference between the royal family, I mean, a, a, a monarchy and a non-monarchy? In the situation that we're in right now? In any situation, I mean, politically. <laughs> and, and in most situations, I think that most people are enslaved 
we're wage slaves, etc. Yeah, so the I fact think, that we have to that, that we have to trade our time for money that's just enough to supply us. Yes, I think most of us basically live in an elevated form of slavery that's less abusive, etc. But yeah, so I, I think totally everybody. Think that. Well, and and I think that there is there is a little bit of a trade inside that. I just don't know whether slave uh, for me slave is actually coloured by actually a lot more. Than just that. Oh, I agree. There's historical so, stuff and everything. I mean, yeah. what, what's the question? Yeah, the question today is actually not that, but uh, I was just it was just intriguing to me because I think that that leads into the question, which is, do you see yourself as a leader? And either way, what can you learn from Joseph Rice to power? Um, and what do I learn about his rise to power? Is that uh, did, was he consistent or did he compromise? Did he give in on any of his values, or was he this? Well, this I mean, we don't know example. whether he had some big value about who he married, so that's just a guess. We don't know whether he compromised a value because we don't know what his values even were. Well, let's look at his family values. We don't know what those are. We d- we actually have some clues in the Bible as to his family values that it okay. was very important for them to be married to other Hebrews and not to be intermarried. When and does so, Joseph ever express that that is a personal value of his? He d- the story doesn't tell us that. Okay, that's all I'm saying. We don't know what Joseph cared about. No, we don't. We, we're given enough clues to kind of stick Where around. are we given the clues? Specifically, he which clue? He married a woman who wasn't. I know, but where do we have a clue that says that he cared one way or the other? How do we know that he compromised? compromised a value when we don't know what value he held. Now, if somewhere earlier Joseph had said, and I plan to only marry a Hebrew woman, and then later he married this woman, then you could say, ah, he compromised oh, a value. Okay. But we don't know don't, that he had this value. You don't think there's any possibility to, in, to infer anything from the story then other than whether he Where are you inferring it? What is this, the that passage that you're using? No, no. That he I know that, that he married her. <laughs> I'm asking you, where do you infer that he cared about marrying a Hebrew? Where do you get that from? From his what heritage. What specifically? Okay, so then you could infer Mm -hmm. from me that if I'm an American and if in American history there's been some sort of thing that you could infer that I also care about this His immediate generation, his grandfather choosing, uh, remember how they chose the wise? They said, you can't just go choose any girl to marry. You have to go and travel. Isaac, his grandfather, Isaac. So the, the Bible tells us that they were very particular about who they were allowed to marry. They weren't allowed to just go marry anybody they wanted. But again, and I mean, I'm, you're also acting like Joseph has some kind of freedom in the situation to do whatever he wants, and I, he doesn't. I don't think that he had all the freedom that he wanted. I think that's actually why it plays really deeply into this question of what do we learn about his rise to power is that maybe Under he the compromised, maybe he didn't. He did what was expedient. So you're saying that what you learned from this is that you should compromise in order no, to rise I'm to just, power? No, I'm just, I'm curious at the moment. Okay, my but, answer is I do not particularly see myself as a leader. I don't really yeah. take any lessons from leadership from this story because, I don't know, I just don't. <laughs> okay, all right. Like, I mean, it seems to me that it was a series of coincidences and circumstances Uh that, like, hey, I don't know, maybe if somebody asked me to interpret a dream and I have an idea about that, I could interpret it and maybe that would help me to be a leader. But it feels all completely random and, like, it has very little to do with Joseph himself or anything that he did other than his willingness to be a conduit. Mm. But, yeah, he just has a knack for doing this thing and that's that's about it. Like, hey, maybe you get lucky, maybe you don't. That's fair. All right. Well, let me repeat the question one more time today because we're well over time. Uh, here we go. Do you see yourself as a leader? Either way, what can you learn from Joseph's rise to power? Think about that. Look after each other. Live love. And we will connect tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
thanks for your support for the Daily Walk podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we just want to let you know that we're praying for you and we're glad that you're praying for us too. If you can help us out by giving online, then please go to boulder.church forward slash give and help this ministry actually make an effect on others as well. Keep us in your prayers, look after each other, and live love.